and take your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. Thankful for that song, Miss Amanda. I love that song. Uh, Miss Amanda, thankful for her and all she does around the church. Uh, the ladies at the church had a busy week ahead of them. Uh, or now behind them, they were getting ready for our missionaries to come in. And uh, they had a lot of preparation to, to do. Miss Amanda's in charge of making sure that uh, we get some baskets over to the uh, places where our missionaries will be staying. And so she did a great job with that. I was able to see one of those baskets, and so she's in charge of that, thankful for that, and uh, she's just a a real good spirit to have around the church office, amen? So thankful for her, thankful for Brother Charlie. He's all right, too, but we really hired Miss Amanda, and Brother Charlie was kind of like the BOGO, you know, you buy one, get one, so amen, Brother Charlie. Love you, bro. (laughs) All right, Isaiah chapter 6 this evening. Thankful for the Lopez family and the Derry family that are here this evening. Thankful for their videos and their presentations. And uh, we need what they have. We need what they already have. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. I'm going to read to you one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. I feel like it's appropriate for the evening, and so we'll learn from it tonight. The Bible says, in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne... High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there must be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth. And it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a tail tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance Thereof, Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. and Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word in a way that is unique and special. 
This is a wonderful passage of Scripture, and Lord, with so much depth and so much uh, impactful truth that I just do not feel as if I am adequate enough to teach it and preach it the way it deserves. So Lord, I ask you to overcome my limitations, give me liberty, and give me grace, and enable me, uh, enable me to preach in the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. I ask, Lord, that you would bless as your children need to hear from you. And we need something special from you tonight. I ask, Lord, in your son's precious and holy and wonderful name, amen. I enjoy every missions conference when we come to church and we're able to see the videos and the pictures of uh, missionaries. I remember when I was much younger, we have so much technology now, but I remember when uh, missionaries would come by and we had those single shot projectors and they had the big turnstiles on the top and they would put maybe 30 to 50 pictures in them and uh, it, it sounded like a, a Tommy gun going off when they were going through their pictures. And here's a girl that we led to the Lord, ka-chick! And here's a le- uh, another lady that we're discipling, ka-chick! And I mean, it was just a wonderful during those days and it was just still pictures and, and uh, we loved those. I'm excited now that we are able to have video and it's pretty remarkable that our missionaries can pretty much film and edit their videos on their phones if they so choose, but uh, we certainly have a lot of technology. However, I do feel that if you could ask any missionary, they would agree with me that the pictures and the videos, no matter how clear, no matter the pixels or the frame rate, They just do not do the need justice. And if they could have all the money in the world, they tonight would take us with them to their field. Because you you may simulate some of these things and you may get just a small taste of these things, but I just not feel like this technology, however advanced, can truly tell the true story of the great need for world missions. But tonight, I don't think that the Lord's will for us is for us to somehow have a limited view of that. I think that the Lord throughout time made it to where His children could know that there was a great need. That that they could sense that the world truly needed to hear and we could agree with God in the matter of the need for world missions. Tonight, what we study is trying to catch a view of the great need for world missions. But if we're going to have that view, it cannot be done through a picture or through a camera or through a video. It must be done through the lens of Scripture. And I believe if we're going to get that view, there are three things that we must see first. Number one, this evening, if we're going to have a view for world missions, we must first see the Lord. The Bible tells us in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Now the Bible here is making clear that Isaiah received this vision from the Lord. And and I find it unique that the Lord did not meet him where he was, but the Lord called him to where he was. 
Uh, there were times in Scripture where maybe the Lord would send an angel to someone. You remember, Abraham was visited where? In his tent by three angelic visitors. One of them we know was the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes God did go to people where they were, but for a purpose, I believe, he, went, he, he brought Isaiah to where he was. And you'll notice that the Bible says, I saw the Lord in his temple. This is not a, a, the earthly temple. I believe Isaiah saw the Lord in his temple. You say, Brother Andrew, how do you know that? Well, number one this evening, because he saw him on his throne. The throne of God is not in any earthly temple. For the Lord dwelleth not in houses or tabernacles made with hands, but the Lord dwells in heaven and the earth is his footstool. And so I believe Isaiah saw this vision and he was uh, somehow summoned to heaven to see this uh, sign. And, and, and it's important tonight that you know that Isaiah saw the Lord on the throne. Because in verse number one, not only do we see that he saw the Lord on his throne, but the reason that's important is because Uzziah had just died. Now, I personally believe at this current time that the throne of the southern kingdom of Israel lay vacant. I believe this occurred so quickly after the death of Uzziah that there was some consternation and, and concern about what the future would hold. And here in Uzziah, if you know anything about him, but he was, most Bible students believe he was the last great king of the southern kingdom. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that he reigned 52 years. And during his reign, uh, uh, this southern kingdom was blessed uh, uh, financially. They were blessed to uh, subdue the kingdoms that were around them. They were blessed in every right. They also believe they were blessed spiritually. And everything was good when, I, uh, when Uzziah was on the throne. Uzziah meant that uh, Isaiah could do his job in peace. Uh, because, you know, the Bible has not always been uh, kind to prophets or, or at least the people of their time have not always been kind to prophets. And so when, I, when Uzziah was on the throne, it meant great comfort. But you notice when, when Isaiah sees this vision, he does not see Uzziah on the throne. He sees the Lord on the throne. Uh, but, but Uzziah represented comfort. Uzziah represented prosperity. Uzziah represented success in the kingdom. But when Isaiah goes to see the Lord, he does not see Uzziah on the throne. He sees the Lord of hosts on the throne. And that's so important for us to know this evening. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 22 says, uh, this is Isaiah writing. He says, cease ye from man or do not put your trust in men. And the Bible says whose breath is in his nostrils. That's a unique way to say that. For wherein is he to be accounted of? In other words, Isaiah says it like this. Don't put your trust in a man because in one moment he may be breathing. The very next moment he may not have any breath at all. In just a moment in time, our world can be shook to the core. And I believe that's what happened when Uzziah left the throne. Isaiah's comfort, his success, and all that was uh, his future may have been tied up in Uzziah. And now in this vision, he doesn't depend on Uzziah, for he's drawn up to see the king on the throne. And, and when the Lord's on the throne, you know everything is going to be all right. 
Not only did Isaiah see the Lord on the throne, and that's what we must see, I want you to notice, secondly, that we must see the Lord from heaven's perspective. I know that's not alliterated tonight. Forgive me. I apologize. I didn't try very hard with this sermon. But we must see the Lord on His throne, but we also must see Him from heaven's perspective. Notice in verse number 2, the Bible tells us of these seraphims, this is uh, the only place in Scripture that these, uh, this, these angels or, or angelic types are mentioned in Scripture, other than two other places where uh, uh, people believe they are referred to, but not by name. And the Bible tells us that they hover over the throne of God. And the verse number three says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord is the Lord of hosts. The whole... Now, if you're looking at your Bible tonight, I want you to read that next word with me. Ready? Go. Earth is full of His glory. Now, that seems odd because we are currently, and from Isaiah's perspective, we're currently in heaven, Right? And I believe that the smoke that fills the temple there is actually representative of Shekinah glory that is filling the temple. But as these seraphims hover over the throne, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of His glory. Why do they say it like that? I mean, they're in heaven, we suppose. They are currently looking at the throne of God who who currently does fill heaven with all of His glory. But from heaven's perspective, even the whole earth is full of His glory. From man's perspective, often we find the whole earth is full of problems. From man's perspective, we, we see that things are getting worse. One of my favorite ways to to uh, tell where a preacher's going with a sermon is a lot of times we just start throwing grenades. Uh, it's kind of like a, a machine gun approach to preaching, but we'll start talking about how bad the world currently is. And we'll say, man, we're getting farther and further away from what we should be. And man, times are getting darker and darker and darker. And, and I just can't believe what the vote was the other day. And I just can't tell you how bad this is. And, and sometimes we'll reinforce it with statistics. We'll say, uh, 99% of statistics are made up on the spot. And we'll, and we'll, we'll reinforce it with uh, these statistics. But we're trying to paint for you how bleak the picture is in our world today. But what I find unique is, they're only saying what the Bible said a long time ago. The Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Do you know what that means? The Spirit is trying to convey this truth to you. Be clear about it. Understand what I'm trying to tell you, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That doesn't mean they were surfers waxing their boards. They're, they're increasingly getting worse and worse and worse. And as, as preachers, we're trying to shock and awe you into realizing, man, the times are bad. But the Bible said times were going to get worse and worse. It's always going to get worse. It's never going to get better. Uh, I, I I, I'm praying and I believe that revival is possible. But if revival breaks out in America, the devil will put his stranglehold somewhere else. 
until the Lord comes back and He is on the throne here in earth and He sits in the millennial reign, until that day, our world is going to pot in a handbasket and we would do well to realize it. And you say, why? Why are you making me so sad tonight? There's nothing encouraging about this at all. Because I'm trying to tell you that from an earthly perspective, everything is getting worse. But from a heavenly perspective, the whole earth is full of His glory. God's not disappeared. God's not gone away. God's not done with working in this world. I believe grace is still active. I still believe the church is God's uh, 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 method of, of reaching the lost. I still believe that His children still love Him. And I still believe that the Bible still works. And I still believe that grace is the way to salvation. I still believe it is possible for the Son of Man to be lifted up and all men would be drawn unto Him if He was lifted up. I still believe all of these things. So... Yeah, it's looking bad, but I'm just going to believe when the seraphim say, the whole earth is full of His glory. Tonight, if we could just see the King for who He is, seated on His throne. But until we see that, we'll just keep thinking that there's no reason in me going next door to witness to my neighbor. Oh, you know, I've, I've witnessed to them before. They have no interest. There's no reason in sending a ton of money to Mexico or Japan. I mean, we're sending our very best Christians over there so they they can go and pastor churches of 10 and 20. And we say those kind of things, but I'm here to tell you, God is still on the throne. And we would do well to know that. We must see the Lord, first of all. We must secondly see ourselves. In chapter number 6 and verse number 5, you see that when Isaiah sees the Lord, it changes his perspective on himself. If you study this chapter or any one of the other several chapters where men encounter God, you will always find that it results in humility. And you can study this chapter and find a philosophy on worship, really. uh, Because there is a worship that does not lead to humility. There is a worship that leads to pride and self-glory. It's vainglory is what it is. But but this is true worship because when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, verse number 5, Isaiah says this, Woe is me, for I am undone. We would do well if we could tonight see ourselves as first of all sinners. Before we can pronounce woe upon others, we probably ought to pronounce woe upon ourselves. Isaiah sees the Lord, and I do see in the passage that he says, uh, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he also says, And I dwell in the people of an, uh, 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 dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah did see that he was a, wit, a rotten and wicked sinner, and Isaiah knew that he had to get that right. But it is never appropriate for a Bible Christian to only think about themselves in every situation. Isaiah says, I am undone and I am wicked, but man, so are all my brethren. Oh, how my brethren need this message. Oh, how my brethren need to see the Lord like this. Oh, how my brethren need to realize how far they've gone away from God's good graces. Oh, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
And you'll find that there's a threefold a process to this uh, to Isaiah seeing this. Number one, it's Isaiah's conviction. He says, "Woe is me, for I am undone." And then you'll see Isaiah's confession: "I am a man of unclean lips." He says, "This uh, this is what's wrong in my life." And then you'll see Isaiah's cleansing. He says, "And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." And you'll see in verse number six and seven. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. The altar there is the true altar of sacrifice. And the live coal represents the atoning work of Christ on Calvary being placed upon Isaiah's lips. And from the same lips that were unclean, he confesses and the Lord cleanses. The same lips that were unclean are the same lips that uttered, I need to be clean. You see, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My friends, some of us Christians need to come down to an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, I am undone before you. And before we can do anything for God, we must be right with God. Some of us need to go through this process of conviction and God's holy word needs to speak to us and tell us what we're doing wrong and we need to begin to confess that and the Lord Almighty will cleanse us from those sins. Some of the people I know that think they're the best Christians in the world spend very little time in God's word. I mean, they think they're the best. They think they're God's gift to God. And what I've noticed in my short time in ministry... When we spend less time in God's Word, we will recognize the, the errors in ourselves less often. In fact, the Bible even reinforces this. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You say, what is that light, Brother Andrew? Well, I think the light is the Word of God. See, Proverbs chapter 6 says, For the the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs and instruction are the way of life. You see, the reason some of us don't don't spend much time confessing is because we don't spend much time reading. We rarely see the Lord high and lifted up. By the way, this book's whole purpose is to lift the Lord high and lift it up. It is to reveal His will and purpose for your life. It is to show that He works through His Son and through His Spirit and through His church. It is that, that is the purpose of this book. So the farther we get away from this book, the lower the, our idea of God becomes. The, higher, the closer we get to this book, the higher the Lord seems to become. And the higher the Lord is in our life, the lower our face should be to the ground. Because when we see the Lord high and lifted up, our automatic reaction is that we would fall down before Him. That was what Job did. Job chapter 12, verse 4, after being reprimanded by his friends over and over and over again, he says these words, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God. And he answereth him, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. You know he's talking about, he's saying, I, I am. I'm the just upright man that's being judged by you guys. Uh, My friends are cast in stones, but I am just and upright. 
That's Job chapter 12. Job chapter 42, the Bible says, I have heard thee by hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself. Now, I hesitate to ever use Job as an example because that guy had it going on. But in chapter 14, he thought he had it going on. He says, I'm a just and righteous man. Then in chapter 42, he says, I've been hearing about God, but I finally see him. And when Job saw him, he abhorred the man that he was. This is not the only time in Scripture it happens for Daniel. You know, Daniel, the one that that prayed and uh, didn't get consumed by the lions. That Daniel, he sees a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in Daniel chapter 10. And the Bible tells us, Daniel tells us, Therefore I was left alone and I saw his great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption and I retained no strength. See, what Christians need to do is we need to get a high view of our God once again. And when we get our God in the fixed and right position, we will become what we need to become for Him. When we see Him where He should be, what we will realize is without Him we can do nothing. We start to accept the promises of Scripture because the guy... Sorry, I don't mean to make God derogatory or make Him low. Uh, The God that sits on His throne gave us this book and His promises are true. And He's the one that made the promise. And if anybody can keep any promise, it's Him seated on His throne. We uh, We must see ourselves as sinners. And then secondly, I want you to notice, we must see ourselves as debtors. Verse number 5, the Bible says this, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the... What's that next word there? King, the Lord of hosts. There are approximately 51 verses in Scripture that refer to the Lord's divine kingship. One of them is Revelation Chapter 19, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that verse. We hear that verse. Have you ever thought about it, though? I mean, kings of earth have tremendous authority, do they not? Uh, Kings of earth can decree something and it's decreed. Uh, uh, Kings of earth can mandate something and it's it's signed, sealed, delivered. Kings of earth can make a commandment and and someone would go. And, and, And kings of earth have great authority. And the Bible calls our king the king of kings. As if all the kings of earth are just subjects of his kingdom. All the authority that they have could never overthrow His authority, for He is their King, Lord of Lords. No matter what man-made conception of God there could be, the Lord is better than that. If you sat down and began to craft the perfect God, if you tried to somehow make what you think would be the perfect God, your craft would be short of how good God already is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And yet the only people that will not listen to him are his children. When we begin to see God high and lifted up, we'll see ourselves not as somehow leaders, not as somehow worthy of our position in the church. When he is in his right position, we'll see ourselves as servants as debtors of the great grace that has been bestowed upon us. I can't help but think of the story of David and his mighty men is there there in the uh, the cave of Abdullam and and, uh, David just in passing as the Philistines, the garrison of the Philistines currently reside in in Bethlehem and, 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 and David says... Oh, how I long to have a drink from the wells of Bethlehem, the one that is by the gate. Now, he does not command anything. The king just desires something. Oh, how I would long right now. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been out of state and longed for a Whataburger? I, I went to California. I, I went to school at West Coast Baptist College. Man, I, I craved Whataburger all the time. You know what else I craved? Good sweet tea. Wingstop is all right, but it ain't got good sweet tea. And I think that's all David was doing. I think just in passing in conversation. Boys, you know it sounds good right now. I mean, y'all are my most trusted man. I would love to have a drink from the well that is in Bethlehem. I would love it. And those three men, without mandate, without command... Three men by themselves charge the garrison of the Philistines. Can you imagine that movie? I mean, that would be awesome. The slow motion effects in that deal as three guys charge a whole garrison of the Philistines. Uh, I I would not want to be the guy getting the water, right? Like the other two guys are there with their nunchucks or something. I don't know what, I don't know what Jewish soldiers use, but maybe slingshots, I'm not sure. But you got one guy who looks all weak. Okay, I got the bucket, guys. You know, I mean, it's just how my imagination goes. And yet they bring it back to David and they present it to him. And I can't imagine what David thinks. He says, do you mean to tell me? I just made one statement. You mean to tell me I, I just I was just reminiscing about how good it would be to be home and, and you mean to tell me you charged the entire army of the Philistines for this? I can't imagine what they thought. Maybe they said something like this. Well, you are the king. Whatever you do, we we whatever you ask, we'll do. Hey, you're the king. And yet, I, I read Scripture, and I find commandment after commandment after commandment from our King, and we don't heed them. We don't do what our King asks. He's the King. When the Lord is in His right position... We'll see him high and lifted up, for he is the Lord. And if we're going to have the right view of world missions, we must first of all see the Lord. Amen. Secondly, we must see ourselves. Thirdly, we must see the need. Verse number eight, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. In all of this uh, 
commotion as Isaiah has confessed. And now the, the seraphim has cleansed him. He brings these tongs and this live coal and puts it against his lips. And the Bible says at the end of verse 7, Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Verse number 8, it's as if while all of this is going on and the seraphim and Isaiah are doing what they're doing, it's like Isaiah hears something in the background in verse number 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now, lest that plural pronoun there confuse you, this is the exact type of us that was used at creation when, when the Bible says, let us make man in our own image. It was the Holy Trinity there, I believe, the council. No, uh, I think it's Job that says, Who hath given counsel to the Lord? You see, nobody counsels God, but the Lord now asks the Holy Spirit and Jesus audibly so that Isaiah can hear it. And the question is, Whom shall I send? Verse number 9. Or verse, at the end of verse number 8. Notice this was not a question directed at Isaiah. This was a question. Did your mom ever teach you that there are some questions they don't need an answer? Like when she comes around the quarter, catches you with your hand in the cookie jar and says, What are you doing? That's one of those questions that they don't need an answer. She figured it out, okay? This is one of those questions that the Lord is not directly giving it to Isaiah and yet... It says, the Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it's as if the, the coal has just left the lips of Isaiah. And it's as if he could not shoo the seraphim away fast enough. So that he can turn and face the Lord and say, here am I. Now we know there are other, uh, at least other things present. I mean, Isaiah could have probably said, well, the seraphims look like pretty good candidates. I mean, did you see how fast that guy just flew? I mean, he has a pretty good message. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. He's got a voice and he's got wings. That's something that I don't have. I mean, Isaiah could have said, well, they look like pretty good candidates. But it's as if he can't shoo the seraphim away fast enough so that he can turn and face the Lord and say, here am I. A few moments ago, I was not even worthy to look at you. But now, if you'll allow me, I'll serve you. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. No, no, no. Don't you let that seraphim do it. He's got plenty to do. Don't you let somebody else. By the way, seraphims couldn't do it if they wanted to. We must be witnesses. We are called to be witnesses. A seraphim don't know nothing about grace. Pardon the really bad English there, but a seraphim knows nothing about the mercy and grace of God. He is a created being, but he is not a redeemed being. Only you and I have the message of Jesus Christ's atoning blood for our, uh, for our sins. That's just a you and me thing. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. We must see the need, first of all, for messengers. Whom shall I send? You know, several occasions in Scripture, we find the Lord ask a similar question. 
Similar to the one, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them to, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should destroy it not. And then the Lord makes this search and He makes this inquiry. And then He says, But I found none. He, he instructs Jeremiah the prophet, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment and that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. It's as if God says, Jeremiah, if you can find somebody who's trying to do right, I will bless that man. He looks at Ezekiel and he says, look, I have done an exhaustive search. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the evil and the good. In all of God's omniscience, in all of God's omnipresence, God has no answer when we do not answer the call. He has no problem calming the storm. He has no problem feeding the birds. But the one thing God cannot do apart from you and I is spread the message of His Son's death on the cross. Boy, that ought to be a challenge. The great need for messengers. You say, Brother Andrew, you're bordering on uh, very uncomfortable territory. Jesus reinforced it. He said in Luke chapter 2, The harvest truly is plenteous. I mean, guys, just lift up your eyes. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He says it's not for lack of an effective crop, it's for a lack of effective harvesters. The laborers are needed, the messengers are needed, and we must see the great need for that. But we not only must see the great need for messengers, we must see, and I'm done, the need for faithfulness. I, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon past verse number 9 in this passage. Because the message that Isaiah that is commissioned to give is not one of grace and mercy, but it's one of condemnation. In fact, Isaiah is told to go to Israel and pronounce the fact that God's judgment is impending. Isaiah is supposed to go give a very uncomfortable and a very hard message to some people that are not going to be receiving it kindly. You can read it for yourself, but in verse number 9, the Bible says, Go and tell the people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed." You see, God was telling them that they were, they were not listening to His prophets anymore. They weren't walking the right way anymore. They were no longer heeding the Word of God anymore. And this verse, these two verses, verse 9 and 10, are so important in Scripture that they are quoted six times in the New Testament. Jesus quotes it to His disciples in Matthew chapter 10, or Matthew chapter 13. He says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah is what that would be, which saith, by hearing ye, uh, ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. You see, Jesus quotes this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. 
say, why are you saying all that, Brother Andrew? I'm saying it because in verses 1 through 8 of Matthew 13, Jesus just got done teaching a parable to them. You say, what does that matter? Well, it matters because are you telling me in the omniscience of Jesus, he did not know that nobody would receive that message? Are you telling me that our, our Savior that walked this earth that could read people's minds before they ever uttered the words that they were thinking, are you telling me He was not keenly aware that He would teach the parable of the sower goes forth to sow and nobody would respond effectively and so He has to teach His disciples, guys, that this was prophesied in Isaiah, their ears would be heavy that they would not hear, their eyes had been blinded, it, he, he teaches his disciples this in verses 14 and 15. But in eight verses prior, he teaches them because this great multitude follows him. And you say, what do you mean? I mean this. Our teaching and our going should not be indicative or should not somehow uh, cause us to or not to based upon their reaction. Jesus taught them knowing full well they would not come. You say, well, that kind of sounds silly. Well, he was showing us, he was leaving for us an example that the results are not the basis on how we will be judged. You see, he taught, nobody responded. Jesus uh, started a church while he was here on the earth. Did you know that? You know how many members he had? Twelve. That's smaller than Brother Billy's Sunday school class. Are you telling me that Jesus just didn't have a good church? No, I'm telling you, sometimes the results cannot somehow predict or indicate to us how successful a ministry is. I've been to Guatemala and I've, I, I, I've seen, uh, uh, I've been there and I've, I, I've gone to the church that is literally at the foot of a smoldering volcano. I've gone into the building and they're bragging about the property that they have because it's not on the street that the lava can enter when it, when it spills out. It's on the side street so the lava can't enter the building. I've been there as essentially the church is two storage lockers that have been renovated so that it gives enough space. I've been there so that their baptistry is essentially a hollowed out uh, 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 toolbox that would go on the back of your truck with saran wrap in the bottom of it so they fill it with water and that's their baptistry. I've been there to, to preach to the church that only has about 12 to 15 folks at it. And you say, why are you saying all this? I'm saying it because Brother Ryan Ashcraft's church was blessed and anointed by God. And the fact that he didn't have thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming was not what determined whether God was pleased with his ministry. We are going to be judged based upon our faithfulness, not our results. There's no scale in heaven trying to see who was more worthy. It is required that a steward be found successful? No, faithful. We must be faithful. And this applies to Mexico and this applies in Japan because in Mexico, I've been there, it is so Catholic, it is so full of Catholicism and those people are so steeped in it. Most of them att attend Mass very rarely and yet they are Catholic through and through only because their mom was and their grandmom was and their grandma before them was. And, and you see, that's going to be a hard field 
This applies to Japan because I know in conversations with Brother James and, and I know in conversations with uh, Brother Brian and Brother Randy and in the Orient, I know it's a hard place because they're so steeped in their previous religions and the devil has such a stranglehold on them that it's hard to break their mindset that God could love them enough that he wants them not, not based upon their works but based upon grace. It's so hard and, and these are going to be hard fields but you know where else this applies? This applies in the 76058. This applies in the 817. This applies right here because yeah, you're right. Times are getting worse and worse. You are a hundred percent right that we pretty much get kicked off of most doors that we go to. You're a hundred percent right that most people have a church, even though they cannot name the pastor. You are 100% right. But you will not be judged on whether you got them in. You will be judged on whether you went out. There is such a need for messengers. And there is a great need for faithfulness. Somebody that will see the Lord high and lifted up and just say, Lord, if you'll have me, I will volunteer. Lord, I I know they may not receive me. Lord, I know I may see no one saved, but Lord, you are king, and I will go because you told me to. 